Today we're going to be talking about this question. It's similar to last week, starting with the same kind of introduction, what comfort. Uh, by comfort, basically to us, that would mean what benefit, what is so good about, what comfort do you receive? And after, I'll read this question and then we'll read the answer together. What comfort do you receive from the resurrection of the body? That not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, purged of its futility, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like the glorious body of Christ. Now, when you think of the resurrection, you typically only think of the fact that, yeah, we'll be, you know, resurrected to new life and we'll spend eternity in heaven. Um, but there is actually more to it than just, yeah, we're in heaven now. There are, there's great benefit to just being in heaven. You know, the very basic simplicity of that, right? But there are also other things about the resurrection of our body that are good. <laughs> much more implications here that result in our good um, and the glory of God. This is what He has saved us for, not just so that we can live a good life, but He has saved us so that we can be ultimately and finally saved from all that is here, earthly, fleshly. Everything that touches down here. <coughs> he has saved us from our sins and everything that ties us to this earth, namely sins, but also futility. All that will go away. Um, and if He did not want us to benefit from it, then He would not have been such a benefit to us. And I think we need to understand that, that God wants us to benefit from His work, His deeds, um, so that we might glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Uh, so look at, if somebody would like to read Luke twenty three forty three for us, that would be of great benefit as well. Okay, so what do we, what do we get for, about the resurrection of the Spirit in that case? What happens immediately after you die? You be with the Lord. Is there a waiting period? <clears throat> no, and that comma, where that comma is, is very important. Yeah? Because I remember when we lived in Waverly, some Jehovah's Witnesses coming to the door, and I can't remember the whole conversation, but I did bring up this passage, and she, oh no, he said, he said, I tell you today, okay. you will be with me. Okay. So where that comment yeah. is, is, is yeah. very important. That's true, grammatically speaking, as far as getting his intention across. I, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That's a little different, right? So it's important to see the grammar there. Um, but he is saying to you, I say to you. And it's not unlike him to say that, even if there was no comma there. It's not unlike other times that he has said things. Verily I say unto you, you know, you must be born again, or things like that. You know, he's, I think it's a little ridiculous for them to even suggest such a thing anyway. Um, but, but yeah, we, we can see where that could be confusing if there was no comma there for those who want to reject um, the gospel. 
So, we have an immediate translation of our souls to God. But what, is it, what does that have to do with the resurrection of the body? Okay, so our spirit does not just go into the grave and rest with the body until the body is raised. There are people who believe that. That the spirit, once you, when a person dies, he stays in Sheol, in the grave, until the resurrection. But Jesus told this thief, No, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Your body will remain here, but you, the real you, the tenant of the body, is going to be with me up in paradise. And your body, he didn't say this, but as we're talking about the resurrection, the body will one day follow. Um, Romans chapter 7, this, is, this kind of skips around a little, so I'm going to read these verses. Romans chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, says, Has then what is good become death to me? He's talking about the law. Certainly not. But sin that may appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So Paul is speaking editorially in this passage. Um, He is speaking as a human being relating with humanity in its fallen state. And he he was just discussing the law. What good is it? What, if there was no law, there would be no sin. So then he's arguing, okay, well, is, it therefore, is therefore something good become my death? No. But it says, but sin, so that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what was good. Because um, he says in verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual. It came from God. It's not something that was born of man. It was not made up of people. It, was, it came from God. But he says, I am carnal. I'm the one who's sold under sin. And then skipping down to verse, chapter 8, verses <clears throat> 3 through 6, he says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. So here he's saying the weakness is not the law. The weakness was the flesh's ability to actually seek God. The flesh's ability to pursue the spiritual goodness that came with the law. The law, so it's not that it was the insufficiency of the law per se, it was the insufficiency of the human flesh to actually abide by it. So thus the law appeared to be weak, but really it's our weakness. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. And he he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay, so here we're talking about a um, dissection in a sense. That when we are saved... When we become believers, God puts it within us, the ability to actually be spiritual. To actually see the law with spiritual eyes. So that the law no longer looks despicable to us. But, you know, as David says all throughout Psalm 119, I love your law. I love it. It is sustenance to me. And we, when we are given spiritual eyes, that fleshliness of the the carnality of the flesh becomes weak, it is killed, it is given a death blow. And we are 
quickened in the spirit. What does this have to do with anything, you might ask? Well, let's go look, let's jump down to verses 10 and 11. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we see here that we, it's not just our spirit that is quickened, but at some point our body will also be quickened as well. After death, we die, we're put into the grave, we rot, we decay. Just like, didn't that happen to our soul because of the fall? But the Lord has given it life. He's given it rejuvenation, renewal in our spirit. That which was lost, that which was destroyed because of sin has been given redemption. And he says here that one day that same thing, you know, that sin that was trapped in this flesh, this carnal flesh, he's also going to rejuvenate that. He's going to give us a complete renewal. Body and soul. Look at Philippians 1, 19 to 23. If somebody could read that for us. Yeah, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through what you're praying and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Okay, so in here he's, he's having a little bit of a struggle, isn't he? What's he struggling about? What's Paul struggling about in this passage? Yeah. What did, what does it seem that Paul preferred? He wanted to leave. Can we resonate with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you have family, though, and that's what his thing was here. Mm-hmm. You say, well, I don't want to leave for their sake. Yeah. In verse thirty-four. Dad was in the hospital, dying of cancer. I've been yeah. thinking about this lately. Mm-hmm. He said, I, I just, for spirit's sake, I, I, I don't want to leave. Yeah. Well, he was only a grader at that time, which is about right? Yeah. He's produced much here, and he needs to take care of those people. <laughs> He's a, in a sense a father figure to them. And he refers to many people as being true, you know, Timothy was a true son in the faith. You know, he calls other people children, babies, sons, and daughters. But here he's, he's struggling with the fact that, you know what? He wants to get out of here. He wants to hightail it, cast off this body of flesh that's separating him from his God. Is there a sincere desire in us to have... Okay, so we're talking about the resurrection of the body. Is there, is there something within us that wants the soul to be caught up in the heavens with God. Like a sincere longing. Like, I, there's nothing on this. Or okay, so you have your children or your grandchildren or whatever. You know, or some loved one here on this earth. Man, I don't, I don't want to leave them, but I so want to go and be with God. And there, is there that struggle in your heart? 
Like, man, I really do want to die. <laughs> I want to die. Is, that, is there something like that inside of us? Because we need to have that. Because Christ is our true deliverance. Christ is our true love, our first love, our great and our deep desire. So do we have that great and deep desire that causes? The only thing keeping me from being right in the presence of God right now is the fact that I'm still alive. <laughs> and that's a problem. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is, that, is that a problem? We, we, sh- we should long for that to actually be a problem if it's not a problem in our, in our spirit like that you can actually sense and feel. Um, but, but, can I go ahead. On, on some level, I think very much that... Um, our spirit, um, that that longing and commit, commitment, commu- community, mm-hmm. basically what I'm trying to get at is the fact of, of the longing of being with like-minded fellowship, of wanting to go to church and, mm-hmm. you know, and fellowship and be with, because our, our spirits are mm-hmm. common here, you yeah. know, and yeah. we long to be with fellow Christians. Yeah. And, that, and, that's a, and that's kind of a taste of this spiritual longing where we long to be with each other. And the longing to go and be with Christ in heaven isn't a running from something as much as it is a running to something. Um, Because you can run from something that you hate and end up in another situation that's, you know, it wasn't your great desire, but hey, you're there. (laughs) But I just hate this life so much. I just wanted to leave. It's all but nothing but trouble. It's nothing but disease and pain. So yeah, it's better to be in heaven. Well, it's easier to be anywhere else except for where you're at if you're miserable. <laughs> you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you have an intense longing to be in heaven. But no, our sincere desire is, no, I want to run to Christ. It's not that I hate this stuff. It's not that I don't want to be with my church family, my, my, <clears throat> my kids, my grandkids, my whoever. It's not that I want to leave them behind. It's that I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to the Christ. I dwell with him each day, and I just want more. Like, because there's, there's limits to, to my, do, my dwelling with Christ because I'm still alive. And I want all those limits to be cast off. I want it all to be behind me. I just want the resurrection. I just want to be there, up there. And that can only happen if I'm dead. <laughs> you know, it sounds, it's one of those, you know, to the carnal mind, to the fleshly mind, that sounds, what is that, an oxymoron? Where it's like, I want to be dead, but it's a good, you know, it just doesn't compute all the time. Um, but it should compute with us, because our spirit is really connected with the Christ who's, up, who's there, not here. He's here, but you know what I mean. You get what I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, we, we, like Judy was kind of saying, like there's a taste of that, though, when you actually feel like you have a real community here. A true heavenly society of God-fearing, God-loving other children of God, like we are really God's children. We are really God's family. He has left a remnant here on this earth, and we're all part of that remnant together. So we have a common bond that's a heavenly bond that, yeah, while we're yet, while we're yet alive, we get, to, we get to have a taste of that, as long as we're functioning properly, that is. Carnality can very easily sneak into a body and divide it and destroy it. Um, but it's a good point. We have a taste of that here, and we should actually enjoy that. Yeah, so, and to the outside world, it's like, why would you go to church on a Wednesday yeah, night? Right. Why would you go to church on a Sunday? Yeah. Don't you know you can go to the lake to the natural right. world? That doesn't make sense. Right. Like, well, I have right. fellow like-minded people with me yeah. that I'm going to go be with, you know? Right. And the spirit is 
spirit can have communion with each other. Mm -hmm. you know? Right. The natural world just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And here in verse 19, he's talking about, he was in, he's, you know, he's in prison, he's being afflicted, and he wants these people to, to pray for him, and he wants um, <clears throat> um, these people to be involved in his deliverance. And he says, I know this is going to turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit in Jesus Christ, according to, okay, so this deliverance is according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as now, so all Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. The only thing that matters to him, deliverance to him, is just as long as Christ is magnified, whether it's by his life or by his death. So if he's alive and he's magnifying Christ, well, great. He's fulfilling the will of the Lord. If he's dead and he actually gets to be in the presence of God and magnify Christ through the type of death that he died, great. What's, there's nothing to be ashamed of in, all, in any of that. Why? Because for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I cannot lose. Suffering cannot defeat me. Death cannot defeat me. Why? Because to me, the only purpose of life is Christ. And if I die and my life is over, <laughs> that's better for me because I'm actually in his presence. What do I have to be afraid of? If I live in the flesh, that just means I get to keep bearing fruit <laughs> for the sake of the kingdom. But then he says, I'm hard pressed because I'd like to keep bearing fruit. I keep, I'd like to keep being among the people bearing fruit. But I so want to be with Christ. I long for the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, if you'd like to look there. How would you like Satan? How would Satan vote? Yeah. And you know, Satan knows that death is really a victory, but the real victory is if Satan can get us to fear, right? To fear it. To fear the suffering. To fear the death. Because the fear is what removes the faith. The true longing and desire for God. So if we fear that death, well, that's how Satan sneaks in and gets his victory. Who wants to read 1 Corinthians 15, 53 and 54? For this corruptible must, be, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruptible, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, mm -hmm. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that it's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Look at this. This is a sure thing. It's going to happen. The corruptible, this life that we're living now in this imperfection, it must put on incorruption. What does that mean? How would you say that? The corruption must put on incorruption. Be a definite change. Yeah. For the better. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's impossible that it won't happen. Right. Right. It must. It must. And that's a good thing. This corruption, do you really feel the corruption <laughs> that's in this life? Yeah, we may be walking and growing in Christ, but yet do we still feel the corruption that we just want to get rid of? Like that filthy spot that you just can't rub off. Or like, you know, Rich, when you get that, do that paint job and then there's this patch of paint on your arm that you just can't rub off. <laughs> you, never, you never run into that, right? 
You know? <laughs> yeah, you are pretty clean, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's just that uh, there's this thing I keep I keep wash I keep trying to get it off. And then I get it off and then it just comes back again. <laughs> I get dirty again and I rub it off and it's just this process of, you know, I'm walking through life and then I get something and I have to rub it off and get something and rub it off. No, this you feel that corruption. And just long for the time where that's just it's gone forever. Yeah. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then he goes on and he sings the song from Hosea, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades or oh hell, where is your victory? They don't the where's the victory? In the presence of God. In the presence of God. Death doesn't have a sting any longer. It's not something to be afraid of. Why? Because the corruption has to put on incorruption. The mortal body that we feel waning, perhaps, the mortality, you really feel the mortality some days than others. That phrase, death is swallowed up in victory, is a good example of a paradox. Yeah. Because to the carnal man, death, that's the end. Mm-hmm. But for a Christian, it's your victory. Right. So it's a good example of a contradiction. It seems like right. a contradiction right. happened, but death be a victory. Right, exactly. You know, it is a victory. And not, you know, people who suffer with depression, they think death is a victory just because it's the end of their pain. But no, to us, death is victory because it's the beginning of all of the abundance that God has pro- promised us for our all eternity. There's several people that. Uh, demonstrated this when they were burned at the stake. <clears throat> I'm not sure of the name on one, but he, he wanted to give his brethren a They said, give us a sign that you're overcoming the fire. Yeah. And, uh, he said, I'll, I'll clap my hands. Yeah. <laughs> he was about burned up and clapped his hands. Yeah. Yeah. And then poof, he's, he's victorious. The victory. After the movement stops, there's the victory, even though to the carnal eye it looks like defeat. Christianity is being snuffed out. But behind it all, there is great victory that only those who have the Spirit can really see and understand and really long for. Not that we long for the pain of being burned at a stake. That's not the point. The point is, man, you can't really defeat me if all you can threaten me with is death, because that's victory. Why? Because I know that the corruptible must put on incorruption and the, morta- the mortal sh- must, for me, put on immortality. It's going to happen for me. I don't have to worry about whether it will or not. And then Job nineteen twenty-five to 27 this beautiful song from Job. Who wants to, not song, just praise, I guess. Who wants to read that? Job nineteen twenty-five to 27 that longing like he is in the midst of all this pain he's already had everything taken from him his skin literally like he says even though after my skin is destroyed (laughs) 
he is actually in the process of all these boils and the destruction of his physical body. He's in the midst of it all. He's not looking at it from the outside. He's already in the middle of all the pain. <clears throat> and he starts this in verse 23 by saying, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Well, joke's on him because they actually did get written in a book. <laughs> um, that they would be engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Why? Why is he, what is he so eager to say? Then he says what, we just, what, you know, what was just read. For I know that my Redeemer lives... And he shall stand last on the earth. Why does he call him a redeemer at that sec? In that, there's a lot of. Th- I mean, you don't really see redeemer used in a lot of different places in the Old Testament without specific intent. Why would he say redeemer in this context? What do you think? Well, he redeemed you from all that suffering. Yeah. At its roots, what is redemption? What is the picture of God being a redeemer? Yeah, it's pulling you out of something. Just like he put you, the first time you really see the Redeemer in Scripture is when the people were redeemed out of Egypt. They were bought, they were set free. So he's talking about, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. And my translation says, Oh, how my heart yearns within me. What, what does that have to do with being pulled out of something? What, what does that have to do with anything? What's he pulling Job out? What's he longing to be pulled out of? Redeemed from. This life. The corruption of this life. <laughs> That's why he's looking forward to this Redeemer, because this Redeemer is going to set him free. In death. And that's a good thing. And then 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Is anybody there? See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. (coughs) And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What manner of love has God given us? Well, we're the sons of God. And we're kind of out on the streets still right now, in a sense. And one day he's going to invite us in to that heavenly banquet. And we're going to be there before His presence forever. And then it says in that the state, of, the state in which that shall be done, He says, when He's revealed, we're going to be like Him, for we're going to see Him just the way He is, in His real state. Remember the Bible has said that no man has really seen God. Jesus Christ is the express image of God. He is the image that we have in Scripture, but nobody's actually seen Him in His actual true form. And when we see him in his actual true form, he says at that point, when he is revealed, we're going to be like him, for we're going to see him just as he is. As he is truly in his true form. And that's going to be the deepest purifying agent we'll ever experience. And everyone, in verse 3, who has this hope, he, he, he embarks on that journey right now. He purifies himself just as he is pure. We behold Him 
We behold what He has done for us. Though we may not see Him in His natural state, (laughs) apart from the body of flesh that He took on while He was on this earth and lived among us. And before we see that natural state, we embark on the journey. We don't just receive the free gift and sit on it. No, we journey. We go. We pick up our cross daily and follow after Him. It's complete baloney to say, I don't have to follow God's law. Because I'm already saved. I'm part of the elect. What difference does it make? It's baloney. Because the one who truly... You know, what does he say in the beginning of, at the end of chapter 3, verse 1? Therefore the world does not know him, because he did not, does not know us, because he did not know him. The only way you could say that is if you don't really know him. If you don't really know the power of the resurrected life. There's an element of resurrection that we get a taste right now, where God starts that purifying process. He purifies us, He justifies us, cleanses us from guilt. And as we're living our life, He's cleansing us from the actual sinning. We embark on that journey, kind of walking in this beginning stages of that resurrection that we will see in fullness one day after we're dead. Our, Our soul is resurrected before the presence of God, and then another day down the line, that this body will be raised in incorruption and will be made in his <clears throat> liked unto his glorious nature. Any questions, any other comments? In the meantime, in the meantime, chapter 12, 1 and 2, which okay. is, uh, uh, Mm-hmm. Living like we used to, and being yeah. who you used to be, be transformed. Right. That's what he has mind for us Right, right. And all of that is reminiscent of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all has that within it. The transformation, the being brought from death to life, to new life. It's all, it all has that flavor of, of uh, resurrection. The, the subject of sanctification is resurrection theology. <laughs> the part that we're tasting right now.